Okay, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Let's pray and then let's see what happens, okay? Here we go. Uh, Welcome to the Easter season. It's a very nice time to be alive. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to renew the fallen, those who live in sin and death, grant we beg you that we would discern the knowledge of your Son, the dawning of true life, and in him share his new creation. To you we pray, who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, there's plenty going on today, so it's good to see you all. May is the busiest month, busier than Christmas, busier than Easter, so, uh, you know, people are in every direction. Uh, Schedule stuff. We'll go in this class two more times. Sunday school will go three more times, but we'll go two more times after this, and then the next week uh, I'm away on official business. So... uh, uh, two more times in here, and we'll, we'll sort of see what that's going to look like. Uh, thanks to the Walter Choir, the boys, you know, um, they were very, very nice, right? And they're going to be at the next service as well. So that's a, that's a very, very kind thing. Uh, if you want to go to Israel, I put, out, um, I put these out for you. And then to Petra, if you want to go too. It's basically a year from now. So it's the second Tuesday after Easter next year. The first Tuesday after Easter is still, is still Passover. And so uh, nothing's cooking, but... You know, if you're nervous about it, yeah, you should be because, you know, that little piece of land has been at war for a couple thousand years. Something is always happening. Um, you know, sometimes it happens enough that you, have, you can't go, but usually, you know, you slog on and, and see what happens. So if you're interested, you know, just get a hold of me and we'll see what happens there. Just questions about anything or, or about anything that's happening or going on or where we're going or what's, what's cooking? So, um, all right. I was thinking back over where we've been. I mean, we've had this um, schedule that's been kind of off and on. We have made a lot of progress from, since last autumn. Um, things were tense, uh, and they're still tense, but in a different way. In some ways, it's residual. We'll see now whether people nurture that nervousness or whether it like, gets to fade, and maybe we can um, go into whatever the future brings that can be at least described as normal. You can argue about if there's a new normal or not, who knows. But at least for us, um, life goes on, and we, we sort of do the best that we can. So um, this is, we're kind of at point number two, which is you're all wrapped up in the, in, the, in the resurrection now. And, you know, this beautiful thing where every, every absolution is a little resurrection. So this morning, Pastor Nelson forgives all your sins. That's a resurrection for you. You leave the old things behind. You um, have the new things. Or you, you know, you slip your, you slip your, your wounds and, and your sins into Jesus' wounds, you know, like you put quarters in a vending machine and you leave, it, you leave it behind, right? You put it there and they don't belong to you anymore. Now, how will we proceed, right? Um, one thing I hope that's emerged over the course of our time together is that you see that you are this one strange, beautiful, glorious thing. These are um, adjectives, but there's a way to talk about them as nouns as well. This is who you are. And when you see each other, especially when you see each other in the church, I mean, this, of course, is true for all human beings in the sense of human dignity. And a lot of our troubles would be solved with just simple respect for the other. It is the dehumanization of other people that lets us um, 
abuse them. It's the, the uh, you know hurt them, um, kill them. Right. This it is when we don't see other people, the value of the image of God in people. Um, everything goes wrong, and so it's 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 key for us to do that. But especially for people in the church who have been resurrected, uh, we figure out now how how we how we go forward. So turn the page, and you have a little thing from Alexander Schmemann, who was a great uh, Orthodox theologian. He gave these lectures on college campuses that became wildly popular and then put into a book uh, for the life of the world. It's amazing. I mean, every sentence is, is genius stuff. So here's your life. Everything is free. So everything is free. We're nothing but given to. Right? Everything is free. Nothing is due. There's no trade. You know, you, can, you think about all this, the, how genius this is, all the stories, the prodigal son, Paul, you know, technically talks about how you can't earn your salvation. Everything is given. We're nothing given to. We receive everything from Christ, from life, from creation to redemption to eternal life. Everything is giving. Nothing is due, and yet all is given. And therefore, and now this is for you and for me, the greatest humility and obedience is to accept the gifts, to say yes in joy and gratitude. So Christ says to you, you're resurrected. Christ says to you, you're my child. Christ says to me, to, says to you, come be baptized. Christ says to you, take the Holy Supper. Christ says to you, live like a community, live like my body. Christ says to you, everyone's important. Christ says, be generous. Think back to Lent. Give alms, right? Um, say your prayers. Be a community. Uh, love your enemy. There's, I mean, one of the best quotes Luther ever wrote is in the bulletin this morning. Just because your brother offends you doesn't mean he's not your brother anymore. In fact, he needs your care more than he ever needed it. That's the Luther we should champion. That's the Luther at his best. So the greatest humility and obedience is to accept the gift, to be who Jesus says, to be who Jesus says you are, right? To be a child of God, to be forgiven, to say yes in joy and gratitude. We ever want to be somebody else. We always want to be somebody else, right? So Pastor Nelson's you know, lecture on Friday morning for the women's Bible study where the last words of Eve are in the garden are uh, I won't do what you tell me and the last words of Mary in the scriptures are do whatever he tells you first Eve and second Eve so I, I attribute that to my wife who sorted that out Eve's last words Mary's last words completely opposite we're nothing but given to there is nothing we can do Yet, we become all that God wanted us to be from eternity when we are Eucharistic. And you understand the charge of that term, especially if you've been you know, along, around long enough since we talked about Eucharistia, this life of thanksgiving, which then encompasses everything. And you know the great Nouwen quotes about, um, you know what the problem with us is? We all think everything should be perfect, so we spend our lives complaining. Nouwen says, the world is a broken place. This world is filled with suffering. What we should do is be surprised by the joy that ever comes, right? And so Christians should be those people who say, in the midst of this darkness, goodness has dawned. In the midst of death, Christ has come and resurrected us. That's the kind of people we should be. 
not the kind who presume perfection and then complain when it's not. We should presume devastation and be joyful when we see anything more. And so this whole notion that we choose joy in our lives, right? we choose joy in our lives, we choose to see the sermon today, we choose to see the world as transparent. We look through an icon and we see the image of God. We look through the host and we see the body of Jesus. This is the life that we're called to. And you know what? It's been a rough couple of years. Okay, um, let's get that behind us. Let's sort of tamp down the foundation and let's get busy. And let's get busy with a really wonderful, joyful life. So at point four, um, you get a little bit of explanation of how that should be. So a bit from Colossians um, 1, or I'm sorry, Colossians 3. Uh, If you have been roused, right? If you have been resurrected. And of course, in baptism, what happens? You go under the water and you die. You come up and you are alive. You die with Christ, you rise with Christ. If you have been roused, if, you, if you're back to life, if you've been raised with Christ, if you're a little Christ, then, I mean, this is just logical, act like the big Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then almost a, the same uh, sentiment, different word, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. There's probably never been a time, maybe since the 60s, where the, perhaps, at least in my lifetime, where the ideologies competing for your attention uh, are so varied and so vigorous, right? And so how people see the world and how people divine human, d- define human beings and how people determine how we will go forward and whether there's space enough for everybody and even how uh, toleration can't be tolerated because toleration, implicit in toleration is the notion that somebody else might be wrong. And you can't say anybody, any, any, that anybody's wrong. Uh, this is just, you know, Pete and Jean Ladick, Pastor Ladick, right? His wife Jean worked in a daycare. She was, she was trained as a teacher. She worked in this daycare. She ran this. But the owners would never allow you to say no to any of the children. You could never correct. You could only affirm. Which is like, I'm thinking about my brothers beating each over the head with baseball bats. And if nobody ever like sort of said, that's probably not a good idea, you know, we wouldn't all be around. <laughs> so, you know, if you can imagine trying to have children, and, but never because, of course, that would hurt their feelings and stunt their growth and suggest that they had done something wrong. You could never say to children, you could only hope to redirect. Well, perhaps you could hit them with a tennis racket. I think it was something <laughs> like that. So... You know, I mean, it was so frustrating because, of course, this isn't good for people to not, not know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Uh, so if you've been raised with Christ, you should seek, search for, desire, demand, require, have a Christian life. You should set, which is focus, observe, aim at, you know, these two very powerful words where what you're aiming at is Jesus Christ himself. You're aiming to live in the image of Christ It's no secret what it is to be fully human. You see it in Christ, right? Right down to the suffering, which is part of what it is to be fully human. Right? Jesus joins us in our suffering, at least in a broken world. So, you know, partly, and especially, you know, you who are younger, you spend a lot of time, or you should spend a lot of time if you don't, 
figuring out what you're aiming at or what kind of person you want to be. It probably wouldn't be bad for people who are older to think about that too. You know, as, as you know, time runs down a little bit, you sort of give up sometimes and just by default, this is who I am. I've observed in older people um, that they harden in their personality. And there's, there are actually some studies on this that I've read. But people, you become more of what you always were, but not irrevocably so. Not irrevocably so. Most people sort of kind of, they, they sort of, you know, ease off into their, you know, late 50s, late 60s, late 70s. And people who are really cranky their whole life become really cranky. And people, though, you've known people like this, people who are very happy or joyful or gracious or generous become really generous. But that's not set in stone. Even for older people, it has to do with what you're aiming at. Most people in life hit what they're aiming at. We don't think this way. We usually think that people aim at something they hit over here. If you actually sit down and talk to them, if you think about it, if you examine it, most people do, in fact, hit what they're aiming at. It's very, very interesting. It's like when you teach your kid to drive and you say, you know, don't hit that phone pole, right? If they stare at the phone pole, what happens? They drive into the phone pole. If you go to driving school, that's the first lesson. Like, look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Right? Life is the same. So, um, here it is in Colossians. You've been roused with Christ. You should seek these things. You should set your, your mind on those things because you've died. And then this very interesting thing, your life is hidden with Christ is how it's translated. But, you know, what it means is somehow your life is already stored in heaven. Somehow you're already in heaven with Jesus. Somehow. These things are very difficult to explain. Uh, But somehow you live already in fulfillment, right? You live with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. And so uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, um, when you die and he appears to you, right? When angels escort you, Uh, or if the second coming comes, then you too will wake up to find yourself in glory, this great holiness of heaven. So, you know, the question is between now and then. And frankly, you know, everybody's been crazy the last few years, including church people. It's just been, I mean, it's like everybody, you know, took a couple years off from being human. Okay, well, um, the resurrection has happened, so let's go. Set your mind on this. Remember who you are, those roused with Christ. Remember where you live already in heaven and being pulled toward that. And in the course of that time, you live like Jesus. Flip the page. As simple as the text can make it is this. Um, You kill some things and you nourish other things. Or as this very difficult, uh, it's sort of a difficult analogy in some ways, to put things on and take things off because we get all bollocked up about justification and sanctification here and we worry that we don't quite get the right thing on and we don't have the energy to do it and we don't quite know how. But if we look at this a little bit, it'll, it'll actually be okay. So here's what your life looks like. You put some things off, you put some things on. Or you nourish some things and you kill other things. Or, as I've said to you a thousand times, you touch holy things and you never touch evil things. It's the key to life. It's Christianity at its simplest. Touch holy things. Don't touch evil things. You can find it in First Corinthians, First um, Thessalonians four. Flee or abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
or in Romans 12, it talks about fleeing or moving away from what's evil and touching what is good. The gospel is touch. So when you touch Jesus today at the altar at the Eucharist, you're a changed person. When he rubs your ears with absolution today, you are resurrected. When you are baptized, you die and rise with Christ. To be touched by Jesus is to be a different person. And to touch evil things slowly taints you, slowly infects you, slowly makes you sick, slowly takes you down to death. And on the way, you do a lot of damage. So, um, put to death and put to life. And then at 17, do everything in the name of Jesus, right? Because when you have the name, you have the person. So you could say, this is a synonym for saying, do everything in the body of Jesus, or do everything in the way of Jesus, or do everything as Jesus, um, as, as Jesus does, does it. Or uh, today, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Do everything as way, truth, and life. Do everything as Jesus would do it, right? Live in the image of Christ. Do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, I, what I didn't do for you, I'm at point number six already, what I didn't do for you is um, go through the long laundry list of vices and virtues because we've done that in the past. And you can parse every one of these Greek words and they're very clever about all the dis- different aspects of you know, human behavior. But what I want is this broader feel because we're coming out of a difficult time where you can reorient your devotional life toward avoiding evil and doing good. And to be honest with you, it's what we did all Lent, to learn to give alms, to learn to pray, right? To learn to fast. All of those things are to avoid evil. Don't touch evil, touch good. Don't touch evil, touch good. It's that simple. But here it is again. Put to death what is earthly in you. Now, if you don't know how to do this, this actually is where the text is very interesting. This word for killing something. And this isn't foreign to you if you're Lutheran. You remember that the small catechism says you wake up every day, you make the sign of the cross, and uh, you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you kill the old Adam. Luther talks about this all the time. You kill the old Adam. You drown the old Adam. Well, the thing is, is, you know, how do you kill a thing that's spiritual? How do you, get, how do you, how do you strangle something you can't get your hands on? How do you kill the old Adam? What does it mean to put it off? This, this little piece of Greek language quite literally translates to, you're dead to me. It's the feeling that you would have if you stumbled upon a corpse. Okay, so just kind of imagine this. I don't know if you've been, some of you professionally are around dead bodies. Um, you know, if you're in healthcare or law enforcement or you're a funeral director or if you've been with people as have they passed on or if you've had the um, kind of startling and unfortunate experience to come upon a body, right? But just, just think to yourself, just imagine what it would be like if you came to a corpse in any sort of state. Just sort of imagine what's your natural reaction to that. Your natural reaction is fear, perhaps revulsion, emotional distress, perhaps physical distress, right? After you've, I've been done funerals where you, you could smell the body outside the, um, even when it was encased in a casket because there's been unfortunate circumstances. So just imagine to yourself the reaction that you would have 
to a dead body, right? That's how you are meant to react to sinful things. We think, of course, that Satan's making a good promise. We think, of course, that if we color outside the lines, everything is going to be okay. The temporary pleasure will erase any notion of permanent pain. We think, of course, that we can get away with it. We, in fact, you know, move closely. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the way of sinners. So you walk to it, you see the dead body, sit in the seat of scoffers, you sit down next to it, and stay to play. Right? It's a description of how we embrace sin. We stop, we look, we sit, we stay. Here is just the opposite, which is you should think about sinful behavior. And you know what that is from the Ten Commandments. You should think about sinful behavior the way you would think about stumbling on a dead body. So, you know, that's how you put things off. You're revolted by them. Now, yes, of course, the women at the tomb, for example, um, caring for Jesus' body. And there are people who, again, we can go back to, you know, law enforcement or funeral directors or healthcare workers. There are people who know how to care for a dead body sort of in any circumstance. But that's not most people, right? And so, you know, you don't, you don't fiddle around with those things unless you're trained to fiddle around with those things. And if you do it, you go with reverence, and you do it with care, and you're very precise about how you proceed. That could be said for pastors, that could be said for doctors, that could be said for law enforcement folks, that could be said for funeral directors, right? You're very careful about how you proceed. It's not a nothing, it's a something. But in general, uh, and I say that because what will happen to you is you'll have friends who will be caught in some great evil, just pick something, right? You can imagine, you all had a friend caught in a great evil, and then what do you do? If you pat him on the back and say, it's all going to be okay, that's wrong, that is sinful. If you act like nothing happened, that's wrong, that's sinful. However, if you launch in beyond your pay grade, that's very, very dangerous. So just kind of think this through in all the circumstances. But in general, what you want to do is when you come to these vices, you want to be like hands off. It makes me sick even to think about that. That's where you should be. That's in the notion of this text of put to death. Put to death, um, you know, all the things you see. And then you get the laundry list. But, you know, you you only need the list to make sure that you and Paul are on the same page. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to be like this. You used to walk toward wrath. That's how your life used to be. You used to walk in these things. You used to live in these things. You used to be your life. You used to be part of the world. You didn't used to be in the church. You were part of the dead body of the world, not the live body of Christ. You used to be this way, but now... Put all these things away. So now just, just like, this is more gentle, right? So maybe you didn't nod toward the sexual immorality or the covetousness. Maybe, okay. But I mean, just look at this list of very common vices. Anger, wrath. So we get angry with people. We retaliate in some way. Malice, slander, right? Obscene talk from your mouth. Lying. These things should be revolting to us. Put off, 
the old dead self with its practices. So uh, basically, that's horrible, and you should act as if you're dead to that. Turn the page. Without him who sustains our lives, life itself is empty. And so if you choose for dead bodies instead of the live body of Christ, if you choose for dead bodies, your life is slowly empty. One of the uh, really interesting trends, you know, I'm, I'm weary of keeping up maybe the way you're weary to keep them up. My, my reading is much more focused these days because there's been an explosion of, um, how, how can I say this? There's been an explosion of uh, rejoicing in uh, things that are absolutely horrible. Right? I don't know how else to sort of say it to you. And so I, I weary of always reading this, but I can always I have the same reaction when I get to the end of somebody who has um, sort of rejoiced in their violence or rejoiced in their sexual immorality or, or rejoiced in this thing or that thing. What happens always in the end, you can smell it like a dead body, the emptiness of the people. And if there's not just one more thing to keep them entertained or preoccupied, the whole thing is going to come down. Right? And so you get this genius of Benedict saying, without him, without the body, without Christ who sustains our life, without Christ who resurrects us, without Christ who keeps us near, without Christ who sets our, 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 our sights on what's um, holy, and without Christ who hides our lives in heaven with his heavenly Father, life is empty. And that is the problem that everybody is trying to escape. We can't entertain ourselves fast enough to escape our emptiness. We can't sin enough, in most cases, to keep ourselves preoccupied and realize that we're walking toward wrath or walking toward death. So, um, of course, that's not you, but you have a double responsibility here to tend your own life, but then also to be always oriented toward other people. This horrible trend in Christianity of um, giving up and isolating just for me and mine, and even among Christians, we're not like those other Christians. We're like the really good Christians, and so off we go to sort of cloister. That doesn't work. That's already been tried. And it also doesn't honor Jesus, who says, the church's job is to make disciples everywhere. Make disciples and teach everybody everywhere all the things that are drawn out of baptism. So we have a double responsibility to be, to find evil abhorrent and yet to live as light in a dark place. It's very difficult to do, but that's what we're meant to do. Um, point number seven. The way you make this yourself through is by recognizing this gift of being wrapped up in the resurrection as a fresh start as something that's enlivening, as something that's empowering. Now, I will say to you, it's extraordinarily difficult to do this on your own. The desert fathers, the desert mothers, people who become hermits, ascetics, they live horrible lives by their own admission. You actually need each other because, as Bonhoeffer says, the devil wants each one of us all to himself. And to be isolated at the point of temptation, is the worst possible thing. 
It's almost a sure failure. This is my, you know, we're going to end at some point here in a couple of weeks. You know, my, my great concern is for the people who haven't come back to St. John. And if you're listening to me, by the way, you St. John people who are just sort of tapped in online, it's time to come back. You cannot live alone online. You cannot live alone virtually. That is not life. It is really virtual. The great confusion of what's virtual and what's real. You know, this you know, image of people who think they're going to live together by downloading their brains on, and then they'll always be available, and, you know, they'll pick your high school prom picture to be your hologram. You kind of go, yeah, that's dumb, D-U-M, okay? That is not, that is not anywhere, you know, nobody in their right minds defined that as life or as living forever, right? Um, you know, it's even clever enough now where I think 60 Minutes did this. I didn't watch. I watched about three minutes and then was... You know, where you can interview somebody from the past and they've downloaded enough information that they can sort of AI the answers that would be given, you're like, hmm, there's 19 things wrong with that, including people learn, people change, and people are not locked into the last thing they said or all the things they said. So, here's the thing. Put off or say of sinful things, you're dead to me, and put on... And then this answer, see, see, again, you have the same question, like, what does it mean to put on? What does it mean to wrap up? What if I don't think I can do that? What if I can't find anything to wrap up in? What if I don't quite get it right? What if it doesn't really fit, right? The image of clothing works and it doesn't work. What's interesting is how this word is used and how the verb is used. It has more of a sense of when you fall back into, you know, a cashmere blanket on your couch, and then you sort of go, I think I'll nap. It has more to do, when, if you can imagine, when you put on the clothes that fit you best. For some of you, it's when you dress for a wedding or when you, um, you, know, you bought a really nice pair of shoes or when you have something that really suits you that you always want to wear. And that fe- you know, you've had clothes on where you go, this feels fabulous. That's what this word means. So to put off is to be you know, just sort of you have this horrible revulsion to evil things, and good things are like this banquet where you say, I'll try this, and I'll try that, and maybe you do this, and how do you, you know, eat caviar, and why do you have that spoon there that's not made of bone, and a tortilla, I have no idea what to do with that, right? You, you sort of go, right? Is this supposed to be raw? You know, you kind of go, Right? You, you sort of say, but it's sort of this great discovery of wonderful things, right? That's what the put on is. And for us, we have no idea what our lives would be like if we lived the way Jesus asks us to live. We almost always bump, nudge, bend, diminish, deflect Jesus at 100% at full strength, Right? I mean, this is everything from being merciful to people to people we won't forgive and we hold a grudge or we can't really give a tithe or I can't come to church every Sunday or pick something. We never, Chesterton, right? It's not that Christianity's been tried and failed. It's that nobody's ever tried it. This is is a begging you to please give this a try. To be absolutely repulsed by things that are evil and to just sort of jump into all these wonderful things that the Lord has left for us. Um, I'm going to flip the page. 
So, you know, from the moment that we're given these things, baptism, you know, the moment we're given the Eucharist, from the moment we're given absolution, right, this great thing from St. Tikhon, endeavor to please God with faith and obedience. And I'm just begging you to hear faith and obedience as gospel words. It's like somebody saying to you, here's a million dollars, right? And I'll be back tomorrow with another million. This is for you, okay? It's all good. Faith and obedience says, hey, thanks very much. You know, we get all bollocked up about faith and obedience being too hard or we don't know the way or that wouldn't be good for me. No! Faith and obedience is great gospel word. When Jesus says to Thomas today, follow me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. When, when Jesus says that, he's not like shaking his finger at Thomas. He's saying, he's saying, you're a bunch of dead people and I'm trying to get you to live. Right? Which is exactly what he says to all of us. We're past Lent. We're through Easter. He's out of the tomb. And he'd like you to follow along. Endeavor to please God with faith and obedience. That is, do what he desires and what is pleasing to him. That's the put on part. And do not do what he does not desire and what's not pleasing to him. Put off. Or touch holy things, don't touch evil things. It's the Christian life in 10 words or less. And if you think you can't do it... um, St. Catherine of Siena had her saint's day this week. I think it was Thursday, but I'd have to kind of remember. But um, start by being brave about everything. Drive out the darkness and spread the light. Don't look at your weaknesses. Realize instead that in Christ crucified, you can do everything. You can do everything inside the flesh and blood outline of Christ who is God and who is man. You can do everything given to you to do. Uh, As always, you know, um, too much to do in so little time. You can read Thomas Merton later, but go to point number eight. Because we have a baptism today and it's going to be fun and you should see the splash and life's beautiful, right? So put on as God's chosen one. You should hear hear Adam and Eve. You should hear Noah. You should hear Abraham. You should hear the children of Israel. You should hear the church, the people that God has chosen, holy and beloved. He loves you very much. Never think differently. God loves you, and he looks at you, and he sees that you're holy. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ, his resurrected son. And here are all the things for you to fall into and practice and rejoice in. So these are all the things that um, we should be moving toward. You know this. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, long-suffering, listening to each other, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all, love and perfect harmony. I want to come back to this next week. Love is the chief virtue that makes, from which all other virtues flow, and which makes the community then sticky, so that even when we sin against each other, even when we're hard on each other, we don't keep going. Okay, one side of it is, when your brother sins against you, he's still your brother. The other side of it is, when your brother sins against you, go to your brother and say, that's really painful, and you know that uh, makes everything fly apart, not stick together. The way of things sticking together in community is divine love, and that's where you need to go. So I just give you a little bit then, um, then uh, 
another bit from St. John Paul, you know. Just look at the last thing at the bottom of page number eight. We're called to pass on the healing that we've experienced. So clothe yourselves with heartfelt mercy. Having been forgiven, forgive. I'm turning the page. In order to communicate peace, live in peace. There must be peace in our families, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, peace in our communities, peace in our parishes, our churches, peace in society, peace on earth, peace in the hearts of the ministers of Christ, in the hearts of those who embrace, and see there's the path then, the gospel of his love. Only then, and you wonder why the church doesn't work, you wonder why families don't work, you wonder why your life doesn't work out, this is why, only then, when we live in the gospel of his love, walking toward holiness, and not in those dark things, walking toward wrath, only then can our proclamation and our communication of peace be effective. It only works then. And part of what we're interested in is having this work. It's not, as James says, just enough to say when you see somebody poor, be warm, be full. It's not enough. That's not walking in the way of Jesus. Jesus did not do that. He talked and he touched and he stayed and he listened and he blessed and he loved. And that is the image of God. The peace of Christ's kingdom, the peace of hope, the peace of Jesus himself. Peace is yours as a gift from the Lord, as a responsibility and a challenge. It's all of those things. It is a gift and it is a responsibility and it is a challenge and it's Christ himself. This is the Christian life. There isn't any other Christian life. This is it. Touch holy things. Don't touch evil things. And carry on. All right, we got to go. Uh, we have bigger fish to fry. Uh, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you soon. Love you.